0: All right, you ready? You got your Bibles? Let's turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. As we stand and open the Word of God together, we'll look at verses 24 through 30. I'm talking about an unpopular path to leadership. This series, Unpopular, if there's anything that we could get a kind of a, a false notion concerning, it's that popular people become leaders. When Often, God's path to leadership, well, I guess we could say always, God's path to leadership is an unpopular path. As we were singing in the prayer, our goal is not to be liked by people necessarily, but to be like Jesus. And so you found your place there, Luke 22. Starting with verse 24, it says, Then a dispute also arose among them, about who should be considered the greatest. Nowadays, the young people like to use the word the goat, right? G-O-A-T, greatest of all time. But they were wanting to know who's going to be the greatest positionally here, not necessarily in quality. But he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles dominate them or lord it over them. And those who have authority over them are called benefactors, but it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you must become like the youngest, and whoever leads like the one serving. For who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Of course, Jesus would be willing to wash his disciples' feet to model this. You are the ones who stood by me in my trials. I bestow, I confer On you, a kingdom just as my father bestowed one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Father, let us see the heart of Jesus in this passage. Help us discover this unpopular path to leadership and embrace it, that we might influence our world for the glory of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I read about a CEO of a major corporation who was picking up one of his personnel managers at one of the branch locations, and and he showed up in this really, really nice sports car. And this personnel manager gets in the car with this CEO, and he's like, man, this is an awesome Rod, I can't believe it. He says, man, being a CEO must be nice, and, and you get to ride around in a car like this. And the CEO looked at him and said, well, son, I'll tell you what, if you'll work hard, you stay committed to this company, you manage the personnel that you've been entrusted with great, I guarantee you it'll be no time at all before... I'll be picking you up in a car much nicer than this one the next time. <laughs> so many times we think that's what leadership is. Get me in a position where I can exploit everybody that's kind of under me, so to speak. Boy, Jesus turned that upside down and said, if you're going to be the leader, you're putting yourself under everybody else. You're, you're turning that organizational chart upside down and you're becoming the servant of all, a leader can't always be successful if his goal is popularity. Jesus had been about making disciples, pouring his life into 12. We see that Judas, this is in the time of his betrayal here, but but Jesus had poured his life into these men who would become revolutionaries for the kingdom of God. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 6, once uh, these apostles show up in Thessalonica, we see that they're referred to as the ones that had turned the world upside down. And so he's instilling with them the ability to influence their world in such a way that it obviously shaped and changed the direction the world was headed. Acts 4.13 describes the disciples after they had been ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit as uh, that, that those who observed them knew that they were ordinary unschooled or uneducated men, but they took note of something. They said, you know what? They have been with Jesus. It's not about the number of degrees on a wall. It's not about the positions and titles and plaques. It's about if you're spending time with the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're a disciple, a true disciple who walks with him and learns to follow him, placing yourself under his authority, then you will have revolutionary influence as a leader, even if by example only, in this world. He was about to leave the world. He would return to establish his kingdom, which he refers to in the last couple of verses we just looked at. But the disciples would be prepared to remain in this world and make disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples who would influence and lead. And one author has said, and quoted by many others, that leadership is influence, or the ability to move people from one place to another, to a desired place, if you will. Our mission statement here at Trinity, if you haven't memorized it yet, you need to memorize it, but leading who? Our neighbors, the nations, and the next generation to do what? To know, love, and serve Jesus Christ. And so the the very concept of leadership or influence there is written into our mission statement that we're leading or influencing people. Neighbors, nations, next generation, to do what? To know, love, and serve Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus begins to describe this unpopular path, this biblical path, we look at it and quite honestly we say it's very simple. It's amazing how many leadership books have been written. And as people read these books, they say, wow, that's how you can be a leader And as I read these books, I say, well, wait, Jesus already said that. Jesus has already taught that. It's quite simple, but listen, the word simple and the word easy have two different meanings, right? Just because something is simple to comprehend doesn't mean it's easy to live out. And so what we're going to talk about is unpopular because it's not easy, but it is simple to understand, but we need the power of God's spirit within us to live it out. Well, let's see what he's teaching them here in this text about this unpopular path to leadership. Well, he begins, first of all, with let's reject illegitimate leadership methods and motives. There are certain illegitimate methods and motives to becoming a leader or being a leader, and those are beginning to be revealed at the very first of the text because there's an argument taking place. And this is not the first argument. It says a dispute also arose among them, meaning there they had been some other things that they had been concerned about, but this time they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest as a reference to positional greatness, not, not who's going to do the biggest and most powerful things in the presence of many witnesses, but, but who's going to hold the highest position. In Matthew chapter 20, we see that James and John even have, or whether she did it on her own, mama show up, to say, would you grant it that my son sit on your left and your right when you come into the kingdom? I want my boys to be in great position. Now every teacher that has gone back to school, every coach that is here knows what it's like when you're trying to evaluate where somebody is and mama or daddy shows up and they tell you where they think they ought to be. And you know, we sometimes we have a higher evaluation of our children than maybe their teachers or the coach or their employer. When they turn 30, 35, 40 years old, are you going to show up mom or are you going to show up dad at the job and say, now, now my boy, now my girl should be in this position or, or that, play that responsibility. We're better off if we teach our children to reject illegitimate leadership methods and motives. This dispute reveals that Even in their tone here, they're bringing about division among the disciples. And if there's one thing that shouldn't be tolerated in Christendom, in the kingdom, in the church, or in a Christian organization, is that if somebody is bringing division and at the same time wants to be in a position of leadership, they are revealing they're not deserving of that position of leadership. Unity is a sign of godly leadership. Proverbs says, that a whisperer separates close friends. So when people are gossiping and whispering about who really should be leading and who really should be in positions and who really should be in charge of certain things, they're bringing division in the church and at the same time revealing through their maneuvering, revealing through their politics that they're not on the path that God has designed to be in a position of leadership. Now, we see not only is there a dispute, Is there this maneuvering that is taking place in verse 24 about who's going to be the greatest because they're seeking position? But he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles dominate them. They had not only wrong motives, but they had wrong methods. They're lording it over them. And those who have authority over them are called benefactors. You're here for me. A sign of impure motives for leadership is when you just simply like having people under you, rather than seeing yourself under them, serving them and leading them to help them and not just you. I remember speaking to a young man who served as an intern here at Trinity many years ago when I was a young pastor here, and he had gone away after his youth years and college years and and then came back to Trinity, and and he said, he was also a, a musician, instrumentalist, And he said, man, I love it here because you and Pastor David, who was here at the time, he said, you guys actually act like you care about what God's doing in my life, and you're trying to prepare me for what's next. And he said, I've been in places where they were just exploiting me and using me, and as long as I was the best at what I was doing and had something to offer to the church, they loved having me around. But as long as they could find somebody they thought was better equipped or better at doing that, they were ready to drop me and embrace somebody else. Listen. If you want to serve the Lord here at Trinity, and it's still our heart today, you can talk with me or Pastor Ben or Jeff. It's still our heart today to see you become the best you can be for the glory of God. If that's to continue to serve him here or somewhere halfway around the world, we're going to say more power to you and get behind you. Those who lord it over them are all about, I'm going to exploit you as long as I can because I can get you to make me look good in the process it doesn't work in ministry it doesn't work in management it doesn't work in coaching but when you care about those that you're called to lead and you serve them and empower them then they do end up sometimes making you look good not domineering control freaks for control sake you don't have to raise your hand if you work for one not domineering. Leaders in the church are also told not to be that way in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 3 when he's telling those elders who shepherd the flock, he says, listen, don't lord it over them, but lead by example, not by compulsion, not manipulating and forcing people to do what you want them to do, but by an example showing them who God wants them to Become. Paul told Timothy, "Don't let them look down on you because you're a young leader, but be an example to them, and let your example be one of contagious leadership and love." Hebrews chapter thirteen tells the church that you're to follow the leaders God places. If what? Well, if they have the title, if they have, well, he's the pastor, so you're just supposed to do what he says, right? And that's not what it says. Hebrews thirteen. And 7, in verse 17, he comes back to this, if they lead according to the word of God and their lives follow, so that the Bible is ultimately their authority, and when they depart from the Bible, they have no authority. That's why you should be discerning listeners, whether you're here on a Sunday morning or watching a TV preacher and say, is he really teaching and preaching the Bible from the Bible, or does he just have some cool things to say? Reject illegitimate leadership methods and motives. Now, if you are in a position of leadership, we've said this again and again, while the goal may not be popularity, it's not to be liked by everybody. If a leader's always worried about making everybody happy, listen, you can't make all the people happy all the time. If you're always worried about keeping everybody happy and being popular, then don't pursue a position of leadership. It will be heartbreaking and heart-wrenching. But some people take that as an excuse to say, well, then as a leader I'm going to make everybody hate me. That's not your goal either. Uh, We forgot the art of being loving and and serving and and, and winsome in this process so that so many people that are in position of leadership today, they're lonely and they're they're not supported and and they have position and they have position only. There was a a fellow who was coming to a lunch appointment with one of his friends, and as he walked into the restaurant, sit down, he said, man, I am sorry I'm late. He said, but man, I, I as I was on my way over here, there were a couple of thugs beating up my boss. I mean, they were just working him over good. And he goes, oh, so you stopped and helped them?" He said, "Now they look like they had it under control. I didn't need to help them. Sometimes that's the way a a leader, a a boss feels. It's like, well, nobody's really here to get behind me or support me. We want to be winsome, we want to be loving, we want to be serving. Henry Blackaby, in his book on spiritual leadership, gives three illegitimate sources of leadership. He says, one is position. This is the person who seeks the office more than the office seeks them. I've always been warned, be careful of those in the church who seek a position more than the position seeks them. Now, if you've got people on ministry placement team and the pastor and everybody else coming and saying, listen, we know you're gifted in this area. You need to be doing this. That's the position seeking you, by the way. And so don't run from that. Embrace it. At the same time, if you're always like, well, I'm mad because they didn't ask me to serve as a deacon. They didn't ask me to teach that. They didn't ask me to lead that group. They didn't ask me to be chairman. Then check your motives. Because the position should seek you more than you seek the position. The second illegitimate source, he says, is power. The ones who would bully and manipulate their way into authority, making everybody afraid of them. It happens in business, and sometimes it happens in churches. And it's not always the pastor who's the bully or the one doing the manipulation. You know, I, I've told this story several times before about the pastor who said that there was a, a lady in the church that was in control and she ran everything and she bullied him and and was going to run him off and he went and he told his mentor he said listen this lady's driving me nuts how am i going to handle it and he said well i want you to wake up every morning his mentor said wake up every morning and i want you to pray and i want you to say three things to god first give him thanks that he saved you second give him thanks that he called you to ministry and third give him thanks that you didn't marry that woman and so sometimes it's other people that have the influence or the power, the, the ability to manipulate and control its position, its power. And then there's personality. Now this is the one that's most difficult to discern because most of us, as we grow in, in a little bit of spiritual maturity, just a little bit, we recognize when somebody's got position but their character really doesn't qualify them, or we recognize uh, when they're, they've got power because they bully and manipulate, but we don't always recognize the personality thing, because they have charisma, they have charm, but without substance, character, and depth. I've seen it, I've heard it again and again and again, I've seen speakers get up, both politicians and preachers, I'm not picking on one or the other here this morning, but I've seen politicians and preachers get up who could wow an audience, who could move them emotionally, get them stirred up, get them fired up. As I used to joke with the staff about those speakers who could get people throwing their babies in the air and shouting and and, and swinging from the chandeliers and you name it, but and that's exciting. A football coach, a, a, a CEO, a pastor who can do that, that's fun to be around at times. But I've heard people say, just because the person had charisma or had a certain personality, they would say, man, he's got to be anointed. And sometimes I hear those speakers, and there is no theological truth in what they're saying. It's totally devoid of the Word of God. But everybody says, because." they have this great personality, they have this great charisma that it's anointed of God. Listen, it's the Word of God that's anointed, and we're to be faithful to the Word. So be careful about people who can lead with charm and lead with charisma. Maybe they're preaching the truth and gifted of God, maybe they're not. And so always make sure that it's from the Lord and of the Lord and is true to His Word. Those are illegitimate sources, and so we need to reject those. But what is the legitimate path? Let's go back to the text again. Number two, represent Christ as a humble servant. He modeled this for us, and he called us to live this and to walk this path to achieve opportunities for influence, which ultimately is leadership. He said to them in verse 25, the kings lord it, over them. Verse 26, but it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, you're going to be unpopular in this statement here, but he says, on the contrary, whoever is greatest among you must become like the youngest, a position of humility, a position of feeling unworthy to even be in the place of leadership. And whoever leads like the one who is serving. For who is greater, the one at the table or the one who is serving? In other words, you have already determined in your heart that the one at the table being served is greater than the one who is serving. That's why I always try to make it a point that when I eat at a restaurant to talk to that waiter or that waitress as if they're more important than I am. It drives me nuts when Christians go out to eat And they fuss and they argue about the way. You say, but Pastor Robbie, you don't know how bad my service was at that particular restaurant. Well, listen, you don't know what that waiter or that waitress is going through. They have humbled themselves to put them in a place and a position of service. They may have just gone through a divorce or their parents going through a divorce. They may be going through bankruptcy. They may be facing some hard times and more than anything else while they're giving bad service because everything else is on their heart and mind and maybe their boss is driving them nuts. You're also not being a good example as a Christian if you're not being an encouragement and praying for them. And no matter how bad the service is, saying, I'm going to give them at least a 20% tip. That's not popular, but that's the kind of servant that Jesus would be. And he says, listen, I know that the one at the table is supposed to be more important, but I'm among you as the one who serves. This is our Lord who would get up and put on a towel and wash his disciples' feet to model what he was preaching. A willingness out of the humility that comes from this to work hard, to rely on prayer, to communicate with the people that God's called you to lead, to have a positive attitude, and to express contagious joy, all of that is the overflow of somebody who is a humble servant recently we looked at Philippians chapter 2 and saw the unity there in verses 3 and 4 about how we should consider others better than ourselves. And in lowliness of mind, building unity in the body, we should consider others better than ourselves. And verse 5 says, here's how you do it. Let the same mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you. The one who made himself of no reputation, even though he was deserving and even though he was in nature equal with God, the second person of the Trinity, God in the flesh, he made himself of no reputation, became obedient, became a bondservant, obedient to what? Even the point of death on a cross. And therefore God highly exalted him, gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And so we have this example of Jesus who humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. And he says, if you want to be a person of influence, humble yourself as well. But our pride wants us to be at at, at certain heights and and say, look at me. I heard the, the story of a crow that was sitting on a tree branch and uh, robin saw, man, that crow's just kind of sitting up there doing nothing. I'd like to go sit up there and do nothing. And so the robin flew up and landed right beside the crow and said, you know, you're sitting here doing nothing. Can I sit here beside you and just kind of do nothing? And the crow said, sure. Then a rabbit hopped out from the briar patch and just kind of stood up and looked at him and said, well, y'all are just kind of sitting there doing nothing. Can I just sit right here and do nothing? And they said, sure, just sit there and do nothing. Then a fox came out from the same briar patch and ate the rabbit. The moral of the story is, if you want to sit and do nothing, you better make sure you're in high places, right? A lot of people think that that's what leadership is. It's about getting in high places. No, it's representing Christ in low places with a humble heart. The humble servant puts the kingdom of God first, puts others before themselves, and then they're able to move a company. They're able to move a church. They're able to move a class because... They're serving them rather than expecting to be served. Represent Christ as a humble servant, and you will be on that fast track to spiritual leadership, to influence in your world. Third, remain faithful to Christ through trials. As you desire, and especially the young people who are here, nowadays when I say young people, I mean like if you're in your 30s, right? If you're in your 20s, if you're a teen this morning, and you want to be a person of influence in your world, humble yourself as a servant and say, listen, I, I want to impact my world. Listen, it's great to have great aspirations as long as it's for God's glory and not your own, but I want to influence my world. I want to impact my world. I want to leave it better than I found it. Listen, you're going to face trials. I remember being told that when I was at that young preacher boy and, and then in my 20s and, and or in early 30s, and I kept saying, oh, Lord, I'm going to face trials. And folks, so many trials have come over the years. And I'm sad to say so many of my friends who were in ministry are no longer in ministry. But tested loyalty becomes trusted loyalty. And so he says, you have been faithful. You are the ones who have been with me, in verse 28, in my trials. You've stuck it out. And even if you fail, even if you fall short, you jump back in there for the sake of the team. You jump back in there for the sake of the kingdom. You jump back in there for the sake of the Lord, even when you fall short. You Jump back in there for the sake of your family and your church, humbly serving and showing commitment. In this context here, we can read about three failures. Those who were given opportunities for influence and leadership, but but we read about three failures here in the context. One of those failures was Peter's denial. But did the early church know a greater leader than the apostle Peter, yet he would deny Christ three times as Christ prophesied that he would? This argument here was another disciple fail. The very fact that they were supposed to be a little more mature in their faith. By this point, Christ had been with them, yet they're arguing and fussing over trivial things. And then the third failure was Judas. And it was clear that Judas represented the one failure that would be a permanent failure because he was that son of perdition from the very beginning. Ultimately, Peter lived out John 6, 68. Remember in John 6, every, you know, all the crowds began to leave Jesus. You know, Jesus had been popular, right? All the crowds were there. And then he said some things that made him unpopular with the crowds, and so the crowds began to leave. And Jesus looked at his disciples and said, okay, everybody's leaving. Are you going to leave too? Peter said, well, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And he would live that out. He would stick with him even though he failed, even though he let him down. He would still be in close proximity and follow his Lord and be filled with the Holy Spirit on Pentecost and shape his world for God's glory. Psalm 37, 23 reveals What's going on here? It says, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. And he, speaking of God, he delights in our ways, yet though he may fall, he will not utterly be cast down. We remain faithful to Christ through trials. And that courage is recognized by those around us. And so eventually, listen folks, there are some things I can get away with as a pastor now when it comes to leading for change. That quite honestly, after three or four years here, I might not have been able to do. But some of you who have been here even longer than me are kind of like, well, after all, we did kind of raise the boy back in the '80s, and so he's probably doing what he's doing because he learned it from us. And he did come back home. He did bring his wife as a foreign missionary to Georgia. And after about eighteen years, you know what? I think he I think he loves us. I think we can trust him. Sometimes. Staying with the call of God and the passion and the mission that God's called you to, staying faithful to Christ in the midst of trials, causes other people to get in line behind you. I read about a captain of a warship back in the early 1700s. And this warship captain, this big giant wooden warship, would always, anytime they saw an enemy ship on the horizon, That enemy ship, there may have been more behind it, but they would see one enemy ship and he would say, get me my red shirt. And so one day one of the men on the ship went to the ship captain and said, listen, you're captain of this warship and I don't understand, you've got a certain uniform you wear, but every time you see an enemy ship on the horizon and we know we're getting ready to do battle, you always say, go get me my red shirt. And he said, well... It's because I know I could be injured. I could be wounded in battle. I could begin to bleed. And I don't want our soldiers, I don't want to see any of the mates on this ship, I don't want anybody to see the blood on me, on my chest, on my arms, and lose courage in the midst of the battle. So I know the red will help me hide the fact that I'm bleeding if I ever get wounded like that. And so the guy thought, man, what a courageous leader. He thought, man, this... This captain has no fear until one day he saw ten ships on the horizon. They said, there are ten ships on the horizon. He said, get me my red shirt and my brown pants. <laughs> Some of you will get that this afternoon. Listen, courage doesn't mean that sometimes we're not rattled a little bit, and shaking a little bit, but it says, you know what? I trust Jesus, and I'm going to stick with him. I'm going to take him by the hand. I'm going to walk with him. I'm going st- to stay faithful until he calls me home. Remain faithful to Christ through trials, and God will increase your influence and opportunity to lead. And then finally, receive your kingdom agenda from God. Illegitimate leaders will be about their own agenda, personal and private agendas. And if you come into the church with a personal agenda, can I encourage you, go join a civic organization But don't bring that into the church. We should be about one agenda, the call of God on our life, the mission of God that's revealed in his word. And so he begins to tell these disciples, I confer or bestow on you a kingdom. And he's saying, listen, I am, in the original language, I am right now doing this, I am conferring, I am bestowing upon you a kingdom. And then he begins to speak eschatologically, speaking of the future here, the, the future coming and the consummation of the church and of the ages, the millennial reign of Christ and of eternity. And he says, listen, you're going to eat and drink at my table with me one day in the kingdom and you will sit on thrones. You're going to even judge the 12 tribes of Israel, those thrones that the apostles would be on described in Revelation. But listen, that day's not here yet. And he was saying to them, even though that's coming, I am right now conferring. That word confer has to do with granting a covenant. It's a language of establishing a covenant that I believe is the new covenant, saying right now you've still got work to do. That day's coming, but right now as servants following in my footsteps, washing one another's feet, you're going to lead people to be a part of that grander kingdom one day when the kingdom comes in its fullness but right now I'm conferring I'm establishing a covenant with you and so we go to the new testament we go to the new covenant to discover what it is God's called us to be about that is of significance that is of eternal value it's 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 leadership needs vision you can't lead without vision The question is, where does the vision come from? The vision comes from, first of all, revelation, God revealing what his mission, what his kingdom agenda is in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. And so we have to be students of the Word of God to be the leaders that God's called us to be. And so revelation plus illumination is when we're spending time with God and we say, Lord, and, and I know there's a wonderful song by one of my favorite groups that says, We need a revelation. When we really already have a re- revelation, we need illumination, we need understanding of it, how it is to be lived out in our lives, and an application. Let's put some steps in order to make this happen. So, as pastor of Trinity Baptist Church, and you can apply this in your own setting and positions of influence and leadership, but as pastor of Trinity Baptist Church, I want to be in the Word of God saying, what have you called us to be about? And as the Holy Spirit gives me understanding or illumination, we begin to say, okay, if we're doing what he's called us to do, what does it look like in northeast Georgia? What could it possibly look like if we are faithful to God doing all that he's called us to do. So whether we're talking about our ministry placement team, whether we're talking about budgets and finances, whether we're talking about the steering team who in two weeks are going to challenge us as a church to step out by faith and embrace what's next, it's all about applying what has already been revealed in his covenant to us. That means we have to be all about this book. One of the greatest students of the Bible that I ever had a chance to hear. Thanks to Miss Linda Freeman. I've got some of the cassette tapes. Young people, I'll tell you what a cassette tape is after church, but because Mr. Larry left a lot of cassette tapes of Vance Havner. And this man is just so full of wisdom. Such a great scholar of the Bible. When he was 10 years old, he was saved. And a year later, he was preaching. <laughs> he was He was standing up in a chair, he tells the story about being at First Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina, standing up in a chair with a pastor on one side and evangelist on the other as a little boy preaching the Word of God. and He stayed faithful as a preacher and a student of the Word of God. He would pastor some great churches before he would become an itinerant evangelist and Bible teacher. Everybody wanted Vance Havner to come speak at their conference. And he's probably quoted as much or more than any other Baptist preacher that's ever preached Vance Havner said this about leadership. He said, a leader is one who has a magnet in his heart and a compass in his head. A magnet in his heart. He so loves and serves people that they want to be around this leader. But he also has a compass in his head. He knows where he's going. And others want to be a part of it. Said about one famous preacher, and I can't remember who it was, if it was Billy Graham or, or, or someone else. <laughs> Maybe somebody can can remind me after the service. But when he was in his early years and he didn't have much money, started dating a young lady and was ready to get married, and the young lady's father said, Well, I don't I don't know if you want to marry this guy. You don't. You don't really know where he's coming from. You don't know his family background. And she said, oh, but but, Dad, I I may not know where he's coming from, but I've been around him enough to know that I know where he's going, and I want to go with him. Leaders, magnet in the heart, compass in their head because they get a vision from God's word being illuminated in their life. Not just... Not just a a vision they fabricate and say, well, this is what I want to do, as we saw last week. Not presumptuous living that says, God, just bless my plans, but a vision that says, Lord, I'm in your word. I see your call on my life. And, And here's how I see that playing out. That becomes contagious and others want to follow. Can we be the servant leaders in our homes in this church, in our community, in your workplace, young people in your school, quit fighting for popularity. Instead of fighting for popularity, start serving the people around you and you'll be amazed at how many want to be around you because you're not putting self first, you're putting them first. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we give you praise. Thanks today for what you're doing in our lives. Lord, as I preach this this morning, I ask for forgiveness when I have not led this way. And I ask for empowerment and wisdom and the humility to always seek to be a servant first. Father, I thank you for this church and so many people who are serving in so many places that they're not fighting over certificates and positions, plaques, but they're simply saying, where can I serve? Whether it's changing baby's diapers in the nursery, whether it's working with a rough crowd on a Wednesday night with Awana, whether it's washing a dish in the kitchen, Lord, I thank you that I see in this congregation Jesus being modeled all over the place. And I thank you for that. Increase our number, Lord, as we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and just trust you to exalt us in due time. We pray this in Jesus' name.